Good evening. Welcome to the Alameda Planning Board meeting for Monday, December 12, 2022. Um, let's begin by flag salute. Board member Ariza, would you mind leading us? Yes, I would love to. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Um, Alan, would you mind doing um, roll call, please? You're on mute. Sorry. Yes, I will do the roll call. Thank you. Um, board member Ariza? Present. Cisneros? Here. Uh, board member Curtis has an excused absence this evening. Um, board member Hom? I see that he is present. Um, board member Sahaba? Present. Uh, board member Teague? Present. And President Rees? Present. We have six present and we have a quorum. Thank you. Um, is there any agenda changes? Uh, no agenda changes from staff. Thank you. Moving on to item number five, oral communications. Anyone may address the board on the topic not on the agenda under this item by submitting a speaker information slip subject to the three-minute time limit. Do we have any speaker slip? Uh, yes, currently Karen Lee is raising their hand. Okay. Can we um, elevate Karen? And I believe, isn't this the person that needs interpreting? Yes, yeah, I'm just promoting the art of panelists right now. That's correct. She actually, they actually have five minutes instead of three. Great. 
So this is, we are currently in oral communications that to address the board on items not on the agenda. Do you have anything you wish to address the board right now? Um, you have five minutes to address the board. Okay. Hello, I'm Karen Lee. And I'm concerned about the traffic. When the construction is complete, it will have three bedrooms and a bicycle, I'm sorry, on bicycle lanes, and people will be in rush traffic to get to work. And so right now it's a single lane, I think double lane would be better. and it will impact our commute time. Um, thank you for your comments. It appears that you are commenting on a specific agenda item and we're not there yet. Okay. So um, we will, once we get to the item, we'll let you know. Thank you. With that, do we have um Artie? Do we have any other um speaker that raised their hand? No, I uh, currently, no one else is raising their hand. We have eighteen attendees in tonight's meeting. Thank you. Um, moving on. That's close agenda item number five. Moving on to consent calendar. Planning board um, regular schedule for the next year, twenty twenty three. Board member Teague. I, I move approval of the consent calendar. We have a motion. Do we have a second? I second. Uh, thank you. Um, Alan, would you mind roll call, the, roll, roll call the vote, please? Absolutely. Board member Ariza. Yes. Cisneros. Aye. Hong. Aye. Sahaba. Aye. Uh, board member Teague? Aye. And President Ruiz? Yes. And that motion passes with six ayes. Thank you. Now let's move to regular agenda item um, for the grants. This is for 2015 Grand Street Vesting Tentative Map Design Review Development Plan and Density Bonus. Do we have a staff presentation? Uh, yes, David Sablon is going to give the um, oral report. David? I don't have a David Sablon in the uh, attendees right now. I have a David oh, Burton. Dave, David's on the panel right now, but I wonder if he can hear us. Oh yeah. Hello. You're very faint, but oh. how's that? Yes. 
much better. better. Thank you. Okay, I think I got unplugged a little bit. Um, sorry. Uh, yes, thank you, uh, President uh, Ruiz. This is uh, my name is uh, members of the board. My name is David Spalon, um, planner with the Planning, Building, and Transportation Department. Um, to, I'm going to be uh, giving a brief uh, presentation, um, and the applicant is here as, as well to be able to answer questions. They have uh, also a brief presentation they wanted to, to provide. Um, so with that, let me get started. Um, okay, so uh, this uh, project was submitted under the Housing and Crisis Act of 2019. Uh, the planning board's uh, seen one other project. Uh, it's referred to as SB 330. Uh, and, and what the uh, SB 330 does is prohibit cities from uh, disapproving or conditionally approving uh, a project so that it's, it becomes infeasible. Um, uh, and this is uh, applies towards projects with inclusionary housing that are consistent with the zoning and general plan. Uh, and so the city's review process is based on objective development standards that were in effect when the application was filed uh, in this particular instance. Uh, it, that was this past March. And so the, the, the documents that we've uh, reviewed this project against are the, the city's zoning ordinance as it was in effect in, on March 7th, uh, the city's uh, Alameda general uh, General Plan 2040, which was adopted in November 2021, and the latest uh, version of the Objective Design Review Standards, which were uh, last updated in February uh, 2021. Um, and so again, you know, the the city's review is, is is based on these objective standards that we've already established, and just uh, making sure that the project meets them. Um, also to, to kind of discuss uh, other parts of the project, um, when a project provides at least 16% of units at affordable rates, uh, they're entitled to a 20% density bonus and unlimited waivers from development regulations. Um, so I just kind of want to go through a quick uh, summary of this of the project. Um, so basically, it's it's going to be uh, it's a 4.1 acre site, uh, 14 family uh, multifamily buildings with a total of 90 townhome uh, units. Uh, some uh, five of them will have attached ADUs. Um, also part of the project, uh, the, the the developer will build the final portion of Clement Avenue between Grand Street and Hibbert Street, as well as uh, widen Hibbert Street. Um, they'll build the portion of the Cross Alameda Trail along Clement Street in front of the property uh, project, and then um, also provide a public access easement through the site, uh, continuing at Hibbert Street uh, to Fortman Way. Um, some site history about the property. Um, it was developed in 1952 for petroleum mixing and packaging, um, switched to just a distribution center in 1995. And in 2009, the city uh, rezoned it to the, its current zoning, the R5 neighborhood residential. Um, and then uh, 2012, 2022, and the city's adopted housing elements. Uh, this was uh, identified as a housing site. Um, August 2020, uh, the distribution center uh, stopped its operations. And then in November of 2020, uh, the work to clear the site began. Um, by 20, May 2021, uh, impacted soil uh, from the previous use was removed from the property and backfilled with imported soil. Uh, and then uh, several months later in July 2021, uh, soil testing found no contaminants above uh, the environmental screening levels, and uh, uh, which satisfied the Regional Water Quality Control Board. Um, to kind of go over some, some basics of this project, um, so uh, the the red lines here sh show that the, the the frontage of all the buildings are, are 
uh, or the buildings facing the street uh, will be facing uh, the main streets of Clement, uh, Grant Street, and Fortman Way. Um, the applicant is actually going to uh, talk a little bit more about the design of, of the um, of the uh, of the project. Uh, it's a, a standard uh, townhome project, um, which uses a lot of uh, articulation uh, and breaks up the the flat surfaces. Um, to kind of talk about the Clement extension here is a, a, a aerial photo of uh, existing conditions. Um, as you can see, Clement Avenue currently stops uh, at Grant Street and then picks up again at uh, at Hibbert Street, uh, just west of the site. Um, this this map is from uh, 2009, and uh, this is these dark lines show that these are the the truck routes uh, throughout the city. Um, and so the the plan has always been for for Clement Avenue to continue uh, through to uh, to connect with. Uh, uh, Atlantic Avenue at Sherman Street. Um, over these ye years, the the previous uh, Marina Shores and Marina uh, Cove and uh, Del Monte projects have filled out the rest of Clement Avenue to kind of create that uh, that leg. Um, and now with this project, uh, both Clement and the Cross Alameda Trail uh, will now be able to continue or uh, go across the island. Um, and then so. Uh, our, our recommendation is to approve the development plan, design review, and density bonus uh, for the 90, uh, 90 townhome units, um, and then recommend approval of the vesting tentative map, uh, which will create the, the condo units uh, for the project. Um, with that, I'm, I'm here to answer any questions, uh, on, and then also the applicant is here to uh, provide a, a, a brief 10-minute presentation. Thank you. Um, President Ruiz? Yes. I, I have a question I would really like to ask before the applicant. Sure. Please proceed. Um, SB 330 gives us 90 days to approve it from final application date, which was July. So no, it, it's, what... it's, it's 90 days from when we deem it complete, the, the application complete. So uh, the, we submitted the final application on July 7th. Yeah, and then um, we reviewed it. There was incomplete uh, items. And so uh, they resubmitted it again and at the end of September, early October. And then so um, at okay. the beginning of November is when we deemed it complete. So it's been about 45 days or so. Okay, that, that information wasn't in the staff report. So that's sure. why I was asking. Okay. Um, thank you. I appreciate it. I, I may have other questions after the, the thing, but I wanted to just clarify timing. Thank you. Yeah. So um, with that, so hold up on this, this question, because I believe applicant has um, a presentation as well. Um, board member Sahaba, can your questions wait until after the applicant's presentation? Yes, yes. Thank, thank you. Oh, wonderful. I uh, hope you can hear me. My name is Garrett Hines. I'm vice president at Truemark Homes. Uh, Truemark Homes is based just over the hill in San Ramon, California, and we've been developing residential, commercial uh, neighborhoods, communities up and down the state of California for over three decades. We pride ourselves on high quality residential developments. Uh, most recently, we've partnered with the city of Alameda to develop two properties on at Alameda Point, both the um, Crest and Leeward neighborhoods at Atlantic and Maine have been uh, terrifically received um, uh, awards, architectural design awards, 
And uh, it's a, it goes to show that our uh, A-team design team that we put together again for this project tonight, uh, it's the same team of uh, KTGY architects and uh, CBG engineers and um, <clears throat> Van Dorn of Bed Landscape Architects. So with that, I'm hoping uh, to turn this over to David Burton from KTGY Architects to let him talk about how we came about to the design you see before you today. Thank you. Go ahead, David. All right. Good evening, everyone. Great to be back uh, in front of the planning board uh, here um, and excited to be working on this project. Uh, start off with the site plan uh, for the project and we uh, overlaid it with the, um, oops, sorry, overlaid it with the uh, context so you can get a little bit of a better sense of how the project sits into the site. Um, just a few things about kind of constraints and opportunities and things on the site. Um, we had a number of constraints on the on the on the project. One, number one being the obviously the continuation of Clement Avenue and the Cross Alameda Trail through the middle of the site that takes out a good chunk of developable area, but is critically important to, to the life of the city. Um, and the second was the widening of Hibbard Street south of Clement um, that is currently, I think, is the uh, one speaker uh, that was speaking a little bit during public comment was talking about that it's just one lane in that one stretch where it passes by the site. And so we will be completing that right away to make it a standard uh, city width right away. And then th another one is then that the staff requested that we create the potential for Hibbert Street to continue through to Fortman Way if the city's corporation yard ever shrinks or the, its footprint or that it relocates. And so we worked very hard to rearrange the site so that we were able to provide, um, as uh, David Sablon said, you know, uh, access easement currently uh, through to Fortman Way and then that that could turn into a continuation of the street uh, in the future if that, uh, if that works out. And then there's also just a desire by, you know, not only the client, but also the staff to really maximize this as a housing opportunity site for the city, that it's really a, a great potential site. And then opportunities that we have here that um, David Tablon talked to touch on this a little bit, that the frontages uh, for this project that we'd fronts on four city streets and creates opportunity to create a development plan that really and truly engages the project with the existing context. The alignments with the existing street grids integrate the new buildings into the circulation pattern of the city. Um, and most of the buildings front onto, onto those city streets, giving opportunities for front doors on streets and living spaces that look onto and engage with the street. And then if and when Hibbert Street is extended, uh, really all the buildings will, will front in one way or another onto a city street, um, which is pretty rare for a, for a project of this size. Uh, it's a, an ideal site for residential development that can take advantage of uh, alternative means of transportation and add to our housing stock in the city, but have a, you know, a lesser minimal impact on, on uh, additional traffic in, this, in the city. Um, the site is, uh, less than a, about a quarter, half a mile away from uh, Grand and um, and Santa Clara, where you have line, line 51A, the O Trans Bay line, and line 78, uh, facilitating commuting to downtown Oakland and San Francisco, or access to Park Street and Webster Street. Uh, the line 19 bus will stop less than a quarter of a mile away, 
uh, also facilitating that commute to downtown Oakland or 12th Street BART station and giving you access to Park and Webster. And then, as we all know, the completion of the Cross Alameda Trail. So we'll have protected bike lanes from the site, directly from the site to provide access to Park Street, Webster Street, all the way out to Alameda Point, all the way over to eventually over to Fruitvale BART Station and to the Jeannie Sweeney open space and more. And also the site has really super excellent access to open space all within a half mile of the site. To the north, you have the park and boat launch at the end of Grand Street. Uh, to the west, you have the Gene Sweeney open space, Little John Park and the Marina Cove waterfront park. And then to the east, you have the uh, future waterfront park and promenade at Alameda Marina and then McKinley Park. So it's a, it's a great, you know, we're, we don't have a lot of room for, for open space on the site, but we have super, super access to, you know, six uh, eventually uh, city parks. Uh, in terms of the architecture, uh, the constraints that we talked about in terms of the impacting the site uh, with the continuing of the street grid through the site really constrained the billable area of the site and led us to develop very, very compact building plans. These compact plans don't allow for a lot of push and pull and carving of the building massing. So to get good articulation of the sods, our strategy is to work with small changes in planes and then in changes of materials to establish a rhythm of bays that give expression to each of the individual units. Uh, all the units have front stoops to help them activate the steep street frontage. Uh, where the ends of the buildings face the street, we've located front doors on those ends and have oriented major living spaces and decks out towards those ends. So that even these so-called ends are fronting onto the street and really create an activated uh, street frontage uh, with all sides of the building. Uh, all units have roof decks to take advantage of views towards the estuary and the Oakland Hills, uh, but the roof decks are separated from each other using stair this, the stair elements that provide access or walls uh, in order to give each deck uh, maximum privacy. Uh, the roof stair elements are set back at least 10 feet from the front elevation where they face the street uh, in order to minimize their visual impact as they're seen from street level, which you can see in this rendering. Um, and then where the roof decks sit out at the face of the building, they, we've, we've given them uh, open metal railings to help keep the roof line low and to minimize the visual impact of the roof decks. Uh, we have uh, two uh, styles, color palettes, uh, to give greater architectural diversity to the project. Uh, the A style that you see in this rendering uh, is primarily a light colored stucco body to give it a nice crisp modern feel to the building. Uh, and then a darker color uh, at the first floor to break up the massing and give the building a pedestrian scaled base. Uh, the bays that I mentioned before are articulated by stucco and tongue and groove siding in darker tones to give the building a warmer palette and to contrast with the main body color. Uh, front doors are given bright pops of color to give them good visibility and to make them more, a little more fun and welcoming on the street. Uh, and the roof deck stair elements are given a light color to minimize their visual impact uh, as they're seen against the sky uh, from the street. And then the B style buildings uh, are a light gray tongue and groove siding uh, for the main body, main body of the building uh, to really make them uh, visually distinct from the stucco that's used on the, on the previous style. And then the bays here are articulated with light green and medium gray stucco to set them off against the lap siding and to be distinct from the darker brown and gray tones that are used in the other style. Uh, the base here is uh, 
made of uh, board form concrete to veneer that's used uh, to, again, kind of break, help break up the massing and uh, use a high quality material to create that pedestrian scale base of the building. And the front doors, as with the A style, are given bright tops of color. So we'd like to think that, uh, and hopefully that you'll agree that uh, within the very tight constraints of the site that we have, we've been able to create some good architectural variety and buildings that really can help uh, engage the street and create a good streetscape. And we're available uh, for questions. Thank you for the presentation. David, is there additional presentation of, uh, or does this conclude the staff uh, presentation? This uh, concludes the staff presentation. Thank you. Now, what we're going to do is open for four clarifying questions. Then we will open for public comments and then move back to board comments. Um, with that said, board member Sahaba. Yeah, thank you. Um, thanks for the presentation and, and describing the project. Uh, questions I had uh, really, it's uh, either for planning or the project team on the Landscape plan that I'm looking at at L1.0, sheet, sheet L1.0. Uh, I was curious, uh, I see that the street trees along Grand Street, um, at least the, the northern portion north of Clement has a rhythm to it. And then when you get south of Clement, uh, the street trees, uh, I guess, disappear, become smaller trees closer to the building. I wasn't clear on why the alley of trees would uh, shift from north of Clement to south of Clement. And then I had a similar question on, on Clement itself, where it's, you know, again, it's been labeled here, new street trees to match existing, but there's um, the, the first stretch of, or the new portion of Clement that's being uh, proposed as these trees bundled together versus um, spaced out. Curious why that is. And then as you move further west on Clement, again, the spacing is, is a bit uneven. Um, and then on the south side of Clement, on the new extension, again, it's, it's sort of bundled together and then not consistent. So um, do the street trees, uh, do, do we have a clear strategy of how to implement these around our, our public streets or is this um, variation uh, something that the city has been looking for. I, I just don't know the answer there, so I'm asking. I'll give it a try if, if uh, Sherry or uh, Angelo's uh, on the panel. Um, I think I know we have over overhead lines that are conflict in some areas, so there there are different reasons, uh, and I'd love for them to explain if they're if they're on. Not seeing. As uh, David Burton here, I can definitely confirm that the that stretch of, of Grand Street, that's that the high voltage lines are up above that one section of uh, Grand. And so there's uh, limitations on the trees that you can have in those in that area. Um, I, I can't remember, Garrett, what, <laughs> what the specifics were about the spacing of the trees on Clement as to why the kind of varied yeah. there. Uh, well, I know we would have done a, a, a a formal rhythm if it was possible. Yeah. I just don't have the, uh, oh, here it goes, David. Yeah. I know their power lines are on the Grand Street section down there. So we, PG&E won't let us put the trees under that power line easement, but then it turns. 
Um, and I'm sorry, I don't have a clear answer for you on the Clement two sections. Not sure if you guys can hear me. This is oh, Sherry Delhorn. Thank yeah, you, I Sherry. Just, I just got switched to a panelist. Sorry, it was a little confusing. Um, you're absolutely right about the bottom uh, portion of Grand Street in front of Building 11. Those are high voltage lines, so we have to be back away from them. That's why the trees are smaller, and they're also farther from the street. Along Clement, it's a combination of some existing trees to remain, as well as various utilities and things that kind of end up dictating spacing a little bit. It, as you can see, it's a pretty tight site, so we have to try to keep the clearances that we need away from, you know, there's lots of rules and regulations about how far a tree can be from something. So that's kind of how those spacings came to be on Clement. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Board Member T. Thank you. Um, I had a question regarding the A Street section uh, with the hammerhead has no sidewalks. Uh, why is that? Let's see if we could put the graphic back up, that'd be yeah. great. One second. I see Angelo on now. Uh, he's listed as Heidi, but that's Angelo. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You want me to yeah, uh, so respond? The, well, the, yeah, the A Street is sure. an alley. Go ahead. Right. It's just north of uh, building one and two. Yeah, so I think that the, the simple answer is that um, there's no access or front doors off of that alley that's only garage access. Um, for the areas where we do have uh, pedestrian and um, common open space uses, just actually on the, the uh, right above the word A Street, you can see some, some different um, hatching there. That's a little concrete area. Um, we do have sidewalks going up to that location, and then obviously the crosswalks at the intersection connecting up with other uh, pathways and sidewalks along the other streets. Um, but the primary answer is just that there's no uh, front doors off of this alley. Okay, thank you. I, I, it, it seems like there will be people walking there. And I am concerned about the safety in that area, specifically given that it goes through to Clement on the one side, there is the this gathering area, which only has one path to get to it. Uh, and potentially people will be coming from their own buildings, walking to it down that path, uh, as opposed to going out their front doors and walking all the way around. Uh, it just seems like a potential safety issue. Thank you. Thank you. Um, board member Cisneros. Yeah, thank you. Um, I just had a couple of clarification questions, some um, that were brought up from public um, written comments. Um, there seemed like there's concern about traffic and this might be a question for um, planning staff. Um, and I'm, I'm curious about the decision to require the infrastructure for traffic signals, but um, not requiring traffic lights. Like, 
I guess, like how, um, you know, uh, like what are the circumstances and to, um, in order to require that, like how far we've, I guess, um, in order to have that determination, um, why not require it now, in other words? And um, my other question, I guess, related to the trees conversation, um, you know, Christopher um, Buckley brought up uh, some suggestions um, for the tree species so that it's in compliant with the city's master tree plan. I'm curious, like the decision for the tree selection. Um, and then lastly, uh, the gathering areas, if you could just um, describe those gathering areas. I, I know there's interest in having open space, public open space. Um, so if you could just voice over a little bit more about those areas, that'd be great. Uh, yeah, I can. I, I can answer the question on on the the, uh, the traffic control at Clement and Grand Street. Um, so the, the the traffic engineer or traffic consultant uh, recommended uh, the the stop sign, um, uh, four way stop, uh, mainly because of um, the conflict between uh, the the two way bicycle track that's on the north side of Clement Avenue, uh, in particular, people uh, traveling. Uh, eastbound on Clement Avenue, uh, there would be a conflict if they were to make a left-hand turn onto Grand Street if they had the, the same, uh, you know, people also going that same direction um, uh, down Grand Street um, on, on the bike trail. And so the the workaround for that or for, for public safety would be to have a, a scramble phase and, a, and a, a light, you know, if, if it's signalized, then there would be a scramble phase where no cars are moving, all cars are stopped, and then um, all four uh, pedestrian and bikeways are, are going. And so that would add a, a delay. Um, and so the traffic engineer uh, and uh, city uh, engineer also uh, agreed that um, there wouldn't be significant stacking uh, with the stop sign uh, up to a point. And then uh, at a certain point, I don't have the specifics, uh, you know, with the volume of traffic, then that would necessitate the uh, signalized uh, intersection with the scramble phase uh, at the end of it. Thanks. Excellent. And I, I will point out that we are, uh, you know, paying our fair share of impact fees for the future use of this and we're installing what, what we've been told to for now. So we, we feel like we're uh, part of the future uh, growth for this intersection. Uh, with that, Sherry, maybe your best talk about why the tree species were selected and maybe touch on our little uh, gathering spaces. Yeah, absolutely. This is Sherry Van Dorn, Van Dorn Event Landscape Architects. Um, so the tree species are a combination of the, the city's master street tree list, as well as some other trees that are what I sort of call backup trees. We've got trees that, that are behind or in the alleys or in the, um, excuse me, the um, aseos. And those areas are quite tight. So that we have to choose some trees that are a little bit more narrow. Um, so that's why there's kind of a mix of trees on the list. And then the gathering spaces, we've located three fairly central gathering spaces. The one off of A Street is the one that has the, the barbecue and dining area, as well as a combination of seating areas. And then between building six and five, we have another gathering space that's sort of meant to draw the neighbors in that area together and hopefully get outdoors and socialize. And there's a series of seating, both chairs and benches and tables that's, that's all fixed. And then we have a, one very similar 
um, between building 13 and 14 as well. So there's three gathering spaces throughout the community. But not open to the public. They're, they're not locked off, it's all open. Okay, that's helpful, thank you. Thank you, board member Ariza. Thank you, thank you for the presentation. Um, I guess my question is about the, the bioretention areas. Um, I assume those are kind of off limits to the public. There's a big area next to building 14. Um, kind of next to that area that you've just mentioned that it's um, an area for gathering. And I'm wondering what what is the plan for that? It's, it's really a, a decorative uh, landscape area. It's not intended for uh, people to enter into. It's not fenced, I don't believe, uh, and it's a low depressed area to uh, treat water, but it is a, a, a landscaped element to look attractive. Um, but th that's not associated with the uh, gathering areas. It's separate. And there's another one up there behind buildings one and two. Right. Okay. Um, and then I guess just more of a suggest as a suggestion, um, you mentioned that there were two palettes, two architecture palettes, or two styles to for for fourteen buildings. Um, so I don't know if there's an opportunity to um, create some variations of those two, maybe with colors or something, so that there is furthermore variation in the buildings. Um, that's just comment. Yeah, uh, the goal from uh, from the beginning was to have the southern block where buildings 11, 12, 13, and 14 are have a different architecture than the northern block. And uh, mm -hmm. you know, I've worked with David Burton many years, and they really felt strong to have a, a very strong, consistent architecture on each side that would really help each side stand out. Um, of course, if, if the board's direction mm -hmm. was to look I at see. color blocking, it's okay. But that was a it was a clear uh, concept that we wanted to keep it uh, very uh, consistent on each side, but different on each side. Yeah, we find we we find that there's just a little more strength in the in the overall development if there's a, a calmer color palette rather than really kind of breaking it up with with too much color variation variation. But open to discussion. Thank you. Or member Hom. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate the presentation. Um, my my comments has to do with the design guidelines and the architecture. First of all, um, in looking at the site plan, the there's the A style and the B style. I want to clear which one is the A style, which one is the B style. You you have one with kind of a brown and gray at the, on the uh, on the lower level, and then the other one is kind of like olive green with kind of tan on the lower level. So which is the the A style, which is the B style? The the A style that you see on screen right there is on the more northerly part of the site. Um, okay. The hand is. And then the B style is on that more southerly. Okay. Side of okay. The okay. Thanks for clarifying that. And then um, I have a question. This might be for staff. Um, and this has to be the ground has to do with the design standards regarding facade articulation. Um, the design standards, a 2A5 
kind of states that for you know all building facades facing or visible from a public street shall be articulate with at least two features. And one of the features got marked was number five is the ground, and I'm just reading the guidelines as or the standards as it currently states. It says the ground floor of the building is distinguished from upper levels through a material such as stone, concrete masonry, or other material that is distinct from the remainder of the facade, along with a change of plane, at least one inch of depth. Anyway, that doesn't apply. Anyway, I see that, uh, I guess, plan B with the tan facade has some stone work on, on the elevation facing where the front doors are, but the plan B is, is just a stucco finish. And I guess question for staff is, given that the same material in this design guidelines calls for a change of material, is that really consistent with the design standards? Uh, well, uh, unless I'm not, it, unless I'm missing the, 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 the plan, the, I know there's like an uh, item it's, eight that says stone veneer, but I'm not seeing that yeah, stone veneer is indicated. It's the finish of the stucco that is changing. Um, I think further in the in the. I, look but um there's you know it's a sand fine sand finish on the, the the base and then um a regular smooth finish uh for the the body of the building um i'm wondering if there's seems to suggest there's will be a change of material in that based on that designs i'd like what is shown for the other plan you know that that the tan, the one with the tan has. Um, yeah, the, the stone veneer. Has a stone veneer. So I'm just curious why is the other one does not contain a stone veneer? To me, that, I, I guess for staff, is just an interpretation of that design guidelines. I'm just wondering how staff uh, yeah, made that guideline. If I make. Um interject and kind of respond. I think originally when we were drafting the standards, the focus here on this, and I don't have the standard in front of me, um, so I don't see the wording, but but the intent here is really to look for buildings that have a, visually have a different base. And I think when you're looking at the drawing here, yes, it's it may be composed with the same building material, but visually it achieves the effect of having a clear base that is distinct from the upper levels. Um, so I think that is the staff interpretation. I, it seems like that's not what the design standard states. It is specific about a change of material. That's why I bring it up. Um, uh, anyway, and then the other question I have maybe for the, um, maybe for the applicant is on the garage side elevation, um, number one, I'm assuming minimum landscaping is being proposed on those interior court areas, just because that's the nature of these carport, these townhouse type developments. Um, was there a reason why the applicant did not consider wrapping around some of the stone facade uh, on the garage side elevation? So to kind of maybe soften the look of that area or, or enhance it since the landscaping is lacking on those interior corridors. Well, go ahead, David. Um, 
is mostly just I guess just thinking that the but the street side is the primary side of the thing. Um, so that's where we really focused the that more enhanced material. Um, but open to uh, yeah, the richer stone material towards the pedestrian realm was yeah. definitely a key a key thought, and um, we we think the rear looks great with the varied stucco finish as well. And, and we do try to get as much plant material in there, but you know, honestly, we we know how hard it is, but we we do our best. Okay, okay. And then the the final question, um, maybe I missed it somewhere. Is there a plan for the community room? There is no community room. Oh, I thought there was labeled the community room, or is it just landscaped area? Oh, it's a bio retention area. There you go. Yes. Okay. Then. Uh, then why do I see labeled on sheet one that is a community room? I don't, I'm not sure. I'm sorry if it's mislabeled. Okay. So there's, so there's no community room. There's not. Okay. Those are my questions. Thanks. Welcome. Thank you, Vice President Hom. Um, Thank you for the presentation and uh, project application. I have a few questions concerning the objective standard checklist. First one is uh, for item 2A1, facade articulation. Have we verified, um, because I'm not seeing um, elevation calculations in the drawing set, have we verified that the facade offset meets 25%? Uh, yeah, I, I've... Yeah, you know, I, I did the, the measurements um, during my review, but I, I didn't put that in the, the report itself. Okay, thank you. And also um, for item number, um, objective standard checklist 2B.2, um, minimum transparency. Again, not seeing the calculations. Have we verified that we meet the 30% area on the street of facade for transparency? Yeah, yeah, it's the same situation where I, I measured the windows and, and went against the, the facade itself. Okay, thank you. And then last item is um, objective standard number three, building orientations and entries under standard, um, standard 1B2. Um, it states individual doors serving individual ground floor units located at the ground floor of the building that have roofed projections or recesses with a minimum depth of at least five feet and a minimum area of 25 feet. And this box is checked. Um, however, as I was looking at the building plan, a large plan, um, um, sheet eight, 5.0 plan two, as well as sheet five point a 5.10, um, Plan four and um, she eight five point two plan. Um, I don't know what unit plan this is. Plan five. It does not appear that the recesses meet um, the five feet dimension. I understand from the three D rendering that most of the or all of the. Um, entries have canopies over them, but I do not see a dimension over that. Can you um, help me to find that dimension to make sure that we can meet this check, um, this item that's been checked? 
Uh, yeah, the dimensions is not drawn on there. Um, I measured it, uh, the, the canopies themselves. Um, you, you measure the what? The canopies uh, from the elevation drawings. Um, trying to find what. Right, but the elevation drawing just shows you the width, but it doesn't show you the depth. So how can we verify that 25 square feet dimension is met when the alcove is smaller? Okay, one second here. And those are my questions. Yeah. Thank you. So, um, so you're, you're talking about these recesses here, which yeah. are, yeah, about two feet or, um, I don't have the measuring tool here. Um, so yeah, they're, uh, these, these recesses are five by five and they're these, fine. yeah, these are, uh, two feet or yeah, uh, two and a half feet. Um, and then measuring, uh, from that front elevation wall to, to the end, it's also about two and a half feet. So, uh, Taken together, the the recess and the canopy uh, meet the meet the standard. Okay, all right, thank you, um, thank you for the presentation addressing our questions. Now that's open to public comments. Anyone may address um, this item by raising your hand. Um, subject to the three minute time limit, um, for those who need. ASL interpretation, your time will be extended to five minutes. Do we have the first speaker? Yeah, uh, if you give me a second, I'm going to promote in Karen Lee. Thank you. Hi, Karen. So I think there's no area for kids to go outside and play. It's so small, I feel, the area. I mean, that area, there's no playground. There's no place for the kids to go out and exercise and socialize. Where, do, where are the kids supposed to go? It's such a small condensed area surrounded by buildings. I wish there were more open spaces but there's just buildings. That's all. Thank you, Karen. Next speaker, please. 
Uh, stand by. Uh, the next speaker will be Al Satel Joyta. Please unmute. Alcatel, please unmute yourself if you'd like to address the board. Hello, can you hear me? Hello? Yes. Ardi, would you mind calling up the um, three-minute time clock, please? I have a clarification uh, question. This is regarding the new truck route that is going to go from Clement to Sherman to Atlantic. I was not able to see that on the, uh, on the presentation. Could you uh, show that to me again, please? Ms. Joytap, you're on the wrong agenda item. The truck route is agenda item 7B. Okay. All right. Very well. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Next speaker, please. The next speaker will be Christopher Buckley. Christopher Buckley, Alameda. Christopher Buckley, Alameda resident. I wanted to thank the planning board members and the applicants uh, responses to my street tree comments and uh, also appreciate the landscape architects responses that some of the trees are derived from the city's master street tree plan. But my recommendation was that the trees for Grand Street and Clement Avenue conform with the designations of the plan for those streets. Those streets are considered major streets and the street tree plan has specific trees um, called out for those streets uh, to maintain uniformity along the streets and give them a consistent look. The, uh, the tree designates a combination of London Plain and Brisbane Box for Clement Avenue and a combination of maples and deciduous oaks for Grand Street. So it's recommending that uh, those species be used along those streets and to conform with the street tree plan and I suggest a specific uh, language to add to the conditions of approval for that in the letter that I sent you. Also would like to note that London Plain and Brisbane Box are currently not shown on the project street tree species list. So those should therefore be added at least one of them so it can be used on Clement Avenue. I had four other um, comments concerning street trees. Uh, first, uh, to provide trees on the west side of Grand Street between Ellen Craig and Clement Avenue. And it was noted in the discussion, uh, those are not being provided there because of the high voltage lines, but high voltage lines have not been a constraint to planting of those types of trees elsewhere in Alameda. And uh, keep in mind, uh, the uh, applicants, uh, architect I believe said the PG&E doesn't allow it, but we're not subject to PG&E because we have our own power company, Alameda Municipal Power, which is much more flexible than PG&E concerning street trees. So, and even uh, if you take a look at Clement Avenue, um, my, well, let me back up. My understanding too is that those lines would be undergrounded. I believe that's standard practice for these 
projects, except for the extremely high voltage lines at the tops of the pole. Those are, I believe those are 110 uh, kilovolt, kilovolts. And the, so those would stay, but they're like 50 feet above the ground. And you can see how trees have been planted under those high voltage lines. If you look at Clement Avenue between uh, Willow and Lafayette. So, um, and then the second additional comment was to provide a four by six foot minimum planting space for each street tree. And where the planting strips are less than four feet wide, the sidewalk should meander to provide a four by six foot planting space, uh, which is already showing, these meanderings are already showing on other sidewalk sections of the project and is used on Constitution Way between Lincoln and Eagle Avenue to accommodate street trees. And the uh, third comment was to use a combination of London Plain and Brisbane Box you know, both species along Clement Avenue using the alternation pattern shown on page nine of the street tree plan. And finally provide two additional trees on the south side of Clement uh, between, uh, it was noted there might be some constraints there, but we'd like to have more detail on that. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Buckley. Next speaker, please. And the next speaker will be Pamela Miller. Um, hi, uh, thank you for letting us uh, listen in on this planning session. Uh, I live near the site, of course, and I regularly experience um, the uh, insult of terrible odors emanating from this site on a regular basis, uh, suggesting to me that the site has not been properly remediated. There's a lot of volatile compounds coming out of the soil that's there. And I'm wondering if the developer is aware of this and what is the plan to remediate these horrific odors that we experience intermittently, but fairly frequently um, throughout the year. Uh, and this is two years after the site has been raised and uh, backfilled with some new topsoil. So I don't think I believe that the site is as safe as you guys said earlier on that it met environmental standards. And we are concerned what's gonna happen when you start digging up uh, to put in these new structures. My other question riffs off of Karen's, which is it's incredibly dense packaging of buildings together um, it doesn't jibe at all with the surrounding neighborhood. The density of housing in this development is way higher than anywhere around it. And I, I, it, it, it will be um, jarring to see these structures in this location so densely packed with no green space, no parks, no open space. Uh, and do we even have any say in this at this point or it's a done deal? That's my questions. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Miller. Do we have any additional speakers? No one else is raising their hand at this time. Um, before we move on to borough comments, I was wondering, I would like to offer opportunity to the applicant, if you choose to address some of the public's concerns. But if not, that's okay. We can move straight into the board comments. I'll just, I'll just reiterate that we're doing our best to have a high, to meet the high density goals. It is a challenge. And uh, we think we've done a great job of making an urban uh, 
uh, intersection with urban architecture, that, which was the goal that we were given from this zoning standard. Um, I, the bad odors, I'm, I'm very curious about how that could be. Um, you know, we have all of our clearance letters from regional water quality boards and the site's been signed off. I, I, I'm, I'm shocked, um, but I don't live right there like you do. So we'll have to, you know, uh, we'll have to look, see what's going on, see if it really is coming from the site. Otherwise, um, I, th I think that's all. Uh, Sherry, you could talk about the trees on why you did what we did. Um, you know, and staff has been, you've been working with staff. So I've got to think that we've, we've done what staff asked us to do. Yeah, I can comment real quick. Um, you're absolutely right that the uh, London plane was missing from the legend. However, we do call it on the plan to match existing on Clement, which was the intent. And I know that they're London planes, so I just realized that was one of this, but it, it should be. Um, and we'd be happy to mix them with Brisbane box if that's what the city wants, that's no problem. Um, the odd spacing, another reason for some of the odd spacing and the lack of trees on the south side of Clement is because we also have water treatment and I can't put trees in that particular form of water treatment. So that along with utilities and other, other items makes it a little bit difficult to get as many trees on Clement as you might want. Um, other than that, I think we do have the proper um, size of plant pockets and all that stuff. So I think we'll be good on grand. And as far as I know, the high voltage lines uh, will preclude us from planting bigger trees at the bottom of Grand or the south side of Grand. That's been said to us in no uncertain terms. Otherwise, I'd love to do it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Now I would like to open up for board comments. Um, board member T. Uh, yeah, I'd like to thank everyone for speaking and staff and the applicant. Um, I'd like to thank board member Hom. Uh, attention to detail in terms of the objective standards. Um, because this is a 330 project, it, it is compliance with objective standards. And it's not what did we mean when we did it, because that's not objective. It's what do they say? And while it would be like, yeah, we, should, we meant that, but that's not what we said. Um, I agree with him in regards to um, the, the building that does not have a difference in material, but more specifically on page A2-1.0, um, the front left perspective shows a side of the building facing Hibbert, which is a public street, where there is not a change of um, that one inch change between the ground floor and upper. It looks great. I like it, but that's not what the objective standard says. So David, why are we checking it given this particular side of the building? I believe that's a question for David. Um, yes, a change in plane of at least one inch depth at the transition between the two materials. Sheet was this? A210. While um, David is pulling that up, I, I would just uh, advise the board that 
um, even though this is design review under objective standards, I mean, the this board certainly has the purview to call out where uh, staff might have made an interpretation that is incorrect and to um, also require the project comply um, in a way that you believe satisfy the objective standards. I, I totally, I totally get that, Alan. Thank you. And, and, and this is a, it's a huge project and, you know, I'm really in favor of the project, but it, it's SB 330. You got to do the objective standard because that's what comes with it. Do you see what I'm saying, David? Are you referring to by this? Right area? there, right there. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, like you said, it's the interpretation or, or the feel of it versus the, the letter of the law. And so in this situation, um, you can, like Alan was saying, place a condition of approval because this, I don't think this condition of approval would preclude the development of inclusionary housing uh, to continue uh, this uh, continue the, the ledge across so that you meet that standard. Well, it'd be interesting to see what uh, board member Sahaba and board member Hom suggest and board member and president Ruiz suggest doing about that section. Um, you know, in terms of the other building, I would be looking at adding a condition for a change of material to bring it into compliance with the objective standard. Uh, I, I'm not sure what to do in this site, so uh, I will withhold my uh, decision as to whether I believe it meets the objective standard until after I hear the rest of the board. Uh, that's it for me. Thank you. Thank you, Board Member Teague. Board Member Sahaba? Yeah, thank you. Um, and yeah, I appreciate the presentation and you know, obviously creating density where, where we need it and extending Clement Avenue are both, you know, uh, objectives that we want to strive for and for sure um, build out the infrastructure for the city. I, I do agree that we do need to get a, a, a more consistent reading around these buildings, specifically at the base and I think that's why those objective standards were set in in that direction, and so not I'm not trying to interpret them, but I think if I read them, uh, what uh, what I'm able to gain insight on is that there's a clarity of three dimensionality as you wrap around these buildings, and so the material base that is meant to be consistent at, at you know, at the bottom of the building versus at the top is, is really meant to be read three-dimensionally, not that pedestrians will be more on one side than the other, or cars will be on one side than the other. It's really meant to read a building cohesively. And so in my mind, um, I think that's an important aspect. I think it does help break down the scale between the top of the form of the, of the building and, and the base of it. So in my mind, um, even the, um, the building that Alan was pointing out on A2.1 has to wrap uh, consistently because I find it that e even on the street side where there's some of the stone material stops short and then switches to the stucco and then it becomes a stucco base, which goes vertically, 
uh, at that end condition is is not re not not creating a, a consistent read when you which you know um, in these images we're able to view it three dimensionally where you view it three dimensionally it, it it feels a bit disconnected so I think the objective standards have helped uh, would would help uh, clarify or, or um, create a consistent reading for for these buildings as you as you move around this master plan uh, and I think. Um, you know, as we look at this master plan, it's not always that you're going to be always looking at the back side of buildings or the front side of buildings. At times, you're going to be looking at the front side and back side of the build, you know, two, two different buildings. And if you see one, you know, front side being one thing, one back side being another, I think it will just create a more fractured reading um, and not, not such a cohesive master plan. So I would, I would also agree that um, we, we need to get this consistent as, as the uh, objective standards lay out. Thank you. Thank you. Vice President Hong. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I know this is a SB 330 project, so I, I totally understand um, the constraints we're working under. So the density is consistent with the housing element is, um, we do need more housing in the city. So this site is consistent with housing in the general plan. So I totally get that. It, it does look very tight as a townhouse project. One thing I do appreciate is that the applicant has, has provided some uh, roof level open space or usable area for each one of the tenants. And I think that's beneficial and that helps uh, provide additional outdoor area, even though it's not on the ground level. Regarding the facade articulation, I guess my, I know it's a little, I know they're meant to be objective, but uh, but there's some objectivity in the, the interpretation of, of the facade treatment. Um, I, I would quite honestly, would not like a president set that, that used that designating fine sand finished stucco is that sufficiently meets the standard of a change in material from smooth stucco finish, that quite honestly does not tell me that that's a distinct change in material, which is what uh, 2A5 calls for. I would like to propose it for, you know, to set the interpretation for future projects, including this one that we do insist that, that ground floor should be a change in material. Unless the stucco is, you know, done in a rough texture or some kind of a pattern that really makes it distinct, I'm not sure fine, uh, smooth, fine sand finishes that much distinct from from a smooth finished stucco. So that's my feeling about a two a five. I do with uh, I do agree with uh, Board Member Sahiba that, and I was looking for this. You know, whenever review architectural projects. You know, you always talk about the wraparound design, you know, four-sided design. So whenever I see a project where you only provide stone facade on one side, which which complies with the design standards, because it does say, you know, facades facing visible streets. But it's kind of disappointing for me not to see the same treatment wrapped around to the back side, especially on those garage corridors. When you look at townhouse projects, they look very bleak, you know, and and some 
while, while landscaping is somewhat limiting, at least some uh, further architectural articulation would be beneficial. But the design guidelines, I couldn't see where it specifically requires that. So I guess where I focus on is maybe insisting on a change of material, um, including the one inch, you know, they're, they're, that same standard calls for a one inch change in depth. So that or for transition between two materials. So that needs to be complied with it, but that's currently not the case. Um, otherwise, I think the, the project design is, is, is a modern design, is, is different than what you typically see perhaps. And I think change differences in architectural style, I think is generally good to see in Alameda. But um, I also do agree with the comment that having all the buildings, I understand the idea for, for, for um, a uniform look to the buildings, especially on that larger, for the smaller block, that makes sense. For the larger block, it seems like some further design um, differences would be beneficial for the northern portion of the site or the larger site. So anyway, those are my comments, thanks. Thank you, Vice President Hong. Any additional board comments? Board Member Cisneros? And Board Member Hong, would you mind lowering your hand, please? Yeah, um, thanks um, uh, to the applicant for the presentation and staff for your work on this, and my fellow board members who um, are much more experts in this area than I am. So I really do value um, all, the, all the insights so far. And just from the discussion, like I would feel comfortable approving this um, with what board member Hom or vice chair um, Hom suggested in terms of having the material consistent with objective de design standards um, that uh, the developer used to put, to, uh, put together this project. Um, and then I guess this is kind of like off topic, but in our housing element um, policy H14, uh, we do say that um, we would require universal design and all new housing to ensure equal access to new housing for persons with disabilities and so on and so forth and how we would advocate um, to try to prevent future waivers. So I think the discussion is just bringing up the fact of how we may want to revisit and amend our objective standards so that, because I imagine we're going to see a lot more SB 330 applications and we and we maybe want to just get to a more comfortable place um, with our objective design standards. And how can we um, think about um, some universal design elements if it is going to be continue to be used and um, one source or resource to maybe look at, uh, there's an organization called the Kelsey. It's a housing advocacy group um, that uh, advocates for uh, designs for um, disabled uh, residents, occupants. Um, and that's maybe something we want to take a look at at some point in the future. Those are all my comments. Thank you, board member Cisneros. Um, any additional board member board comments? Um, well, thank you, the applicant, for, for the presentation and your patience in addressing our questions and the public's questions. Um, I understand that this is a 
um, SB 330 project, and I have seen, and I bike by your Leeward and Crest projects, and they were quite impressive. And th therefore, I'm a little, little bit disappointed when I see the application. I feel like this looks like a value engineer version of Leeward and, and Crest. Um, at the same time, I understand that the site is extremely constrained, so you cannot elaborate on the on the facade articulate articulation as you have shown or done in on um, leeward and crest projects at the point. Um, they do look a little bit cookie cutter to me. Um, at the same time, it is a SB three thirty project that need to abide by the objective standards. With that said, um, I'm in support of asking the applicant to incorporate a um, different material for style A at the base um, other than stucco. I'm in support of adding linden plank into the street tree. And um, regarding style B, whether the the I feel like the material needs to wrap around. At the same time, I interpret it as the, the top, there's siding on the top on either side. So I can go either way on that. And those are my comments. Board member Teague. Um, thank you. Yeah, I, Alan, can we make a motion to approve it, requiring them to bring the project into compliance with an objective standard? Uh, yes. I mean, this is the board's interpretation of the standards. And if this board's, I mean, tonight's I, review. I don't like those words. Okay. An objective standard is not about interpretation. Okay. It's what yeah, does a that's regular not the right. standard person think it says? Yes. Without, right. Based on your uh, routine, regular judgment, I think, is is how the state law defines um, objective standards. Yeah, I, I think so, board member Ruiz did a, a I mean, President Ruiz did a fantastic job with the motion and uh, if she would like to make that or I can make it with the comments that she said. Um, I think you should make the motion. As okay, well. so I would move approval with the requirement of the adding of the street trees that were mentioned. The requirement to bring the project into compliance with the objective standard of 2A Five, what is that? Um, in terms of building type A, and dealing with the left elevation of building type B, as much as I like what they have, I, it, it, to me, that does not objectively comply with that standard. Um, I do like it. Sorry, David. <laughs> um, I, I don't understand the wrap comment. So if one of the board members would say, would you take a friendly amendment to do the wrap of X? I, I will take that. Yeah, I'll just add the, the wrap comment. Um, Alan was, was really about for both buildings to keep you know, the base consistent as it wraps based on the objective standard. So that that's that that was I know the street side, uh, which Vice President Hum pointed out, uh, is where the change in material occurs. And I guess I would just say that 
um, the objective standard still looks at, well, in, in some cases, the end is exposed to the street side. So that's that was the rap comment that I had, the end of that building. I, I will accept that friendly addition. Uh, as a side note, I would really like staff to bring the objective standards back to the board in January. Or um, for a review or update. For review, discussion, potential changes. Ellen, would you want to, do you have it? Oh, the motion down? Do you need additional clarification? Yeah, to be clear in building A, the two different types of stucco is not meeting the standard as far right. as the board's reading of the objective standard. And the in uh, the left elevation is not meeting in terms of that difference of material and the one inch change of depth. Yeah, it could be done with a bar that goes across. I don't I don't want to tell David how to do it because he did a fantastic job and hopefully he can figure out a way to be just as fantastic with this. Alan, did you need me to uh, kind of- Yeah, I, I think I have down. I mean, um, David, we, maybe we could just summarize for the board what, what we've heard. Um, regarding the trees, it's adding the London plane to the palette, but I believe there was one more tree that uh, Ms. Buckley has cited. And we want to just capture that and include that into the landscape palette for trees. Um, with the uh, building style A, I guess the general summary is that um, there needs to be a different material at the base, not just stucco or fine stucco, um, and that it also needs to address the one inch um, uh, change in the one inch depth in the change of two materials, which I believe is in the standards. Um, and with the, and the wrapping around. And building style B is uh, dealing with the wrapping around consistent material around the base. I captured those three points. Yeah, and the the, the second species was uh, the Brisbane box. Brisbane box, yes, thank you. And for um, building style B, the facade that's facing, I think Hibber needs to be brought to in compliance with objective standard as well. Okay, thank you. Okay, we have a motion at the table. Do we have a second? I'll second it. Thank you. Um, Alan, would you mind roll call vote, please? Sure, uh, board member Ariza. Aye. Board member Cisneros. Aye. Uh, Vice President Hom. Aye. Uh, board member Saheba. Aye. Board member Teague. I think that's yes. And then um, President Ruiz. Aye. And that motion passes with six ayes. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Now move on to agenda item number 7B, recommendation to adopt street classification mobility element appendix general plan amendment. Do we have a staff presentation? Uh, yes, uh, President Ruiz is Andrew Thomas, Planning, Building, and Transportation Director. And if I may ask, Artie, can you promote Susie Hofstetter and um, Nate Conable, if you, if you could, our consultants on this uh, proposal? 
Um, I'll just introduce um, uh, Ms. Hofstetter and Mr. Conable. They're from uh, Fair and Peers. Uh, they've assisted the city staff on this effort. This is an amendment to the general plan. It is an appendix to the mobility element. The, uh, it, uh, the street classification appendix is really designed as a, uh, uh, to supplement the existing policies in the general plan mobility element. So it's an additional layer of guidance for future decision-making. This uh, document is the result of a series of meetings with the Transportation Commission and a subcommittee of the Transportation Commission that worked closely with staff and the consultants um, over the last year to, to update this document. Um, the Transportation Commission a couple of weeks ago unanimously recommended that the Planning Board and City Council adopt uh, this uh, updated appendix. Um, what I'd like to do is turn the presentation over to Ms. Hofstetter from Fair and Peers to get, provide an overview of the street classification system. Susie, are you there? Can everybody hear me okay? Uh, yes. Great. Uh, thank you, Andrew. My name is Susie Hofstetter. I'm a transportation planner with Fair and Peers presenting this evening on the classifications. Thank you for having me. Um, so just to give a background on the process to date, um, in November 2021, the general plan update was adopted with the new mobility element. Um, the 2009 classification system was left in place and deferred for a future update, which is where we are now. Um, just as a point of reference, the truck route map that you saw in the previous presentation was from that 2009 classifications. And so our task at hand was to um, bring those up to date and make them more useful for how the city does planning and transportation design today. Um, in spring of 2022, earlier this year, our team did a review of city policies, peer agency, and other cities of similar size, um, what they're doing with their classifications, several internal discussions with the planning and engineering teams, and a draft classification system with a memo. Um, a transportation commission subcommittee was highly was heavily involved, as Andrew mentioned, and we had a first review with that group um, in July. Um, and then after that, that was working on the definitions of each classification. And then we had draft maps and draft general plan amendment, um, followed by another subcommittee review, uh, transportation commission public hearing um, in November. Now we're here at the planning board and then uh, the draft will go to the city council for approval early next year. Um, so the goals of the update to the classification system are um, multiple, but these are the kind of four main reasons for doing this. One is to support the general plan focus on transportation safety for all modes. This is really building off of the Vision Zero program and all of the standards and policies are consistent with the general plan transportation element. Um, to align with other policy documents, including the draft active transportation plan, um, to simplify and make the classifications more useful for staff and decision makers, and we'll talk through what that looks like a little bit, and also integrate with design standards that staff, consultants, and developers use to support design decisions. Um, so these are the classifications in the draft um, appendix. 
Uh, the classifications you see in bold have a citywide circulation purpose, and we'll look at those on the map as well. Uh, and then they have four different um, categories within those citywide circulation streets, and those are determined based on land use. So those are Main Street, Gateway Street, Business Commercial Street, and Neighborhood Connector. So this is essentially our business districts, Main Street, um, so that's Park and Webster, plus some of our smaller business districts, uh, Gateways, which is bridges and tubes, uh, Business Commercial, which is more of the industrial and business park areas, and then neighborhood connectors, which is the streets that you, people use to circulate throughout Alameda um, in neighborhoods, which is the majority of the city. And then neighborhood local streets are um, neighborhood streets that are not really designed for through traffic and more designed just for people to access their homes by multiple modes. Um, so this is an example of what the design standards will look like um, for each of these categories. This is really a high-level planning document, so this is more of a starting point for designers rather than a prescriptive document. So you wouldn't be able to fully design a street using these standards, but say if a developer is going to be touching a street and they need to have a guidance on how wide the lanes will be and what the general guidance around uh, the speed and the volume is, they'll start here, as well as with the descriptions in the document. And then there are other city documents and guidelines that will be needed to kind of drill down further, as well as like design engineering judgment. And these are all using the existing policies from the approved mobility element uh, that are all centered on safety. Uh, so this is what the map looks like currently in its draft form. Um, as you can see, the bold lines are really the streets that people use to travel by all modes throughout the city and between neighborhoods. And because of the changes in land use along these corridors, it will change in some of these contexts. So for example, Central Avenue and Encinal uh, is mostly neighborhoods, but then there are the sort of station business districts. Uh, and the circulation purposes will be similar along these corridors, but there will be different needs for curb management. So that means maybe parking or parklets. And then the pedestrian facilities or the types of crosswalks or the type, the width of the sidewalk may differ in a business district. Um, so the guidelines are written to emphasize what those differences are and also where the similarities are so that there's a consistent experience for people who are taking the bus or driving or walking and biking along the corridor for circulation. It acknowledges those two different needs for serving the land use and also serving the circulation. Uh, so th there are some overlay maps as well that help to guide the design um, further. So this is the transit streets map. Uh, as most of you can tell just by looking at it, this is not actually all the streets that have bus routes today, uh, but it is all the streets where the planning team feels it should not preclude future bus service. So uh, many of these streets do currently have bus routes and then others may in the future. And so this is essentially that the design vehicle for this street should be a bus rather than a passenger vehicle so that if AC Transit decides to change their routing, which they do on shorter time horizons than this general plan that these will be accommodated. Um, this is the truck route map and uh, I will try to hold the, the slide here for a moment so that the audience member who needed to see it can, can take a look. 
Um, this is actually very similar to the previous general plan truck route map. Uh, that was a very a robust process previously. So our team this time around did not do any extensive changes to the truck routes. Uh, the primary difference is at Alameda Point, uh, the truck route has been changed slightly so as not to go right through the, the most residential sections of Alameda Point. Um, and what is shown here is the new Clement Avenue, which has been discussed previously this evening with the temporary route as it currently is on Buena Vista. Uh, one note is that the bicycle route map is not part of this document because the active transportation plan has a very robust bicycle network. And so this, this document uh, refers out to the active transportation plan, uh, which is also updated on more on shorter time horizons than the general plan. And so this refers out to make sure that that is referring to the most up-to-date active transportation network. Um, so that's it. Uh, the staff recommendation this evening is that the planning board recommend the classification appendix to the city council. Um, and I can answer any questions as well. And the packet also has that full document for your review and staff is also here to answer questions. Thank you, Susie. Thank you, Susie, for the presentation. Um, that's open up for board clarifying questions and then public comments and then um, board discussion. Board, um, Vice President Hong. Yeah, thank you for the presentation. Um, and, I, and I appreciate the, the uh, write-up of the street classifications. I thought everything was logical and very clearly laid out. My main question had to do with uh, the complete streets concept, uh, which is discussed in the staff report. Um, but then when I look at the the parameters, um, you know, the tables that are provided for each street, uh, it defines uh, traffic lane width, but it doesn't address, you know, minimum sidewalk width or, or bike path or facilities. Is that contained elsewhere? Um, because it seems like when I read, look at it, it's very uh, vehicle centric that it that doesn't address pedestrian or um, I know that's not the intent because the city has a very robust complete streets policy in the general plan, but I'm wondering why we didn't um, further articulate dimensions for bike path and um, and sidewalks. And the other question always comes up is, is crosswalk treatments, you know, is, is there standards on treating crosswalks when the city would consider like, um, elevated, not elevated, uh, you know, lit crosswalks uh, first and, you know, for different types of more enhanced striping and, you know, things like that. So I just wanted to bring those I'll, questions I'll take up. first um, if, if through the chair, um, if I can try to answer that, would you like me to answer that at this point, President Ruiz? Um, um, I, you're, you're muted. I, I assume yes, that's a yes. yes. <laughs> and then um, Susie, please jump in if it uh, helped me out here. Um, I think in terms of the bike standards, we um, because the city was doing a, a, a very detailed active transportation plan that deals with both pedestrian and bicycle um, routing and standards, we thought the most effective thing would be to, um, to uh, cross-reference that plan for the bicycle, um, particularly for the bicycle bikeway. Um, 
the um, many of the specific standards that you're describing in terms of sidewalk widths, uh, crosswalk styles, all those kinds of things, and certainly, you know, requirements, you know, uh, standards for bike lanes and those kinds of things are all in the active transportation plan. So we really see the decision making and uh, keep emphasizing this, like the general plan is really a guide for future decision making. This is something we've been really emphasizing and Susie mentioned it, like we're, we're not trying to write a document that predetermines exactly how every street in Alameda will be designed. Because um, we really think what we need to provide is more general guidance. And then when we actually work on those particular streets, we have to look, you know, as a community, both the Transportation Commission, the Planning Board, the City Council, really look at the, the site-specific conditions um, to sort of fine-tune the design. And that's really what we have found has worked best when we start redesigning streets like Otis, Grand Street most recently. Um, so um, I think the short answer to your question is that we, we think the reference, cross-reference to the active transportation plan will address many of the things that are missing that you pointed out from this document. Um, we, if the board would like though, I think in particular on things, the one thing that you mentioned that sort of jumped out to me that we could easily add here, I think without being redundant with the active transportation plan is really um, providing some guidance on sidewalk width. I mean, we do have sort of minimum standards for sidewalks in neighborhood areas, minimum five feet in, in commercial areas, we try to do 10 feet. Um, once again, it's it can vary. It can be in neighborhood areas more than five feet. Sometimes in some commercial areas, we're not able to fit a 10-foot sidewalk, um, but we certainly could provide some additional guidance to that. I think it, I think we could do that in this in this document if that's something the board would like to recommend. Andrew, just one thing I would add. Um is that the active transportation plan has a set of pedestrian typologies that match these street classifications so they're the same uh, and that really fleshes out in much more detail what the sort of pedestrian toolbox is for each of these land uses and circulation purposes and so you would have a set of crosswalk enhancements sidewalk treatments and so on for each of these um, what's called a pedestrian typology and active transportation plan, and those map directly onto these classifications. So those standards are are in the ATP, and and we can clarify that language to to refer out more clearly. Yeah, I appreciate that. It seems like maybe uh, I I know the staff report addresses reference to the active transportation plan, and you have a paragraph about bikeways. Maybe it's just a matter of adding a. Uh, additional paragraph on sidewalks mm -hmm. or pedestrians. Thank you. Thank you. Any additional um, or clarifying questions? Okay, I have one. Um, thank you for the presentation. In the staff report, uh, under Gateway Street, you indicated that um, that that's the gateway streets may have a speed limit of higher than 25 miles per hour. Um, and yet uh, in this new 
um, classification document on page six under um, gateway streets is still listed target maximum design speed is still 25 miles per hour. Could you please elaborate on that? Do you want to take that one, Susie? Sure, yeah. Um, so the way that speed limits are set in California is essentially that the city has to take the prevailing speed they have to take data on what how people are driving now and set the speed limit at the 85th percentile so essentially saying like the speed that people are driving is how fast the speed limit will be uh, and so it's really up to designers to design the street in such a way that encourages lower speeds and then you can take that data again and set the speed limit lower and so in alameda currently there's only a few places where the speed limit is over um, 25 miles per hour. Those are typically at the gateways. I think there's also a section of Apizado that's higher uh, currently, but uh, the gateways are really a place where people might be driving fast, especially in the tubes, even though it's supposed to be lower for safety reasons. People really do pick up speed there. And then the gateway classification within the city is the part where people need to slow down, especially because it's entering business districts. And so the point of having a target maximum design speed is that designers who might be touching that street or designing that street know that they need to introduce design elements that will calm that traffic. So that's narrower lane widths um, on arterials like the tubes, you would need like a variety of speed feedback signage and maybe even rumble strips, that kind of thing. And the point of that is to reduce the speed so that then you may be able to come in and set the speed limit lower later. So we have a little bit of a disjunction for, between the actual speed limits and what the desired speed limit is. And this document is intended to kind of guide the designer toward those traffic calming elements, or we might call them safety countermeasures that would support the lowering of those speed limits in the future. It's an, it's an aspirational uh, metric there. Understood. Thank you for the clarification. And if I may add, just to, just in case anybody's um, listening and is confused by this, um, the, the 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 challenge moving forward, as Susie said, is we we would like people to slow down along those corridors, but at the same time we want to maintain capacity because what this what this document is saying is you know those are the areas where we need as much capacity as possible because so many vehicles are moving in and out at that point. So. Um, reducing speed but maintaining capacity um, is really kind of, I think, our, as, as Susie said, our sort of aspirational goal for the gateways. Thank you. Um, now let's open for public comments. If you would like to speak, please raise your hand and um, you'll be limited to three minutes. The first speaker will be Sandra Wong. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay, good. Um, so uh, I noticed, so I live on Clement Avenue and I noticed that during, in the plans that would be the new truck route, but currently the road is narrower to reduce speeds, but it's also so narrow that regular traffic makes it really difficult for just regular cars to pass each other. So if that's going to become a trap, a truck route, then I would like to know how the roadways would be changed to accommodate an 18 wheeler who
who would be going down the whole road of Clement. Um, also, with uh, as a young fam as a young family with children, the local park is across the street from all of the housing on Clement. So my concern would be all of the other children in our neighborhood that is going to the park would have to cross now a truck route street um, with a lot more traffic. So I would like to see a lot more pedestrian safety uh, it, it put into the street. I don't know what, when this would happen, but it right now the way that the road is, is not safe for a truck route at all. That's it. Thank you. Any other speakers? No one else is raising their hand at this time. Thank you. Now that's um, open for board discussion. No comments? All right. Um, I, I, I know that... Um, that Clement has been designated a truck route for a long time. And I do agree with the public speakers. Um, I've personally almost got run over on Clement, um, right, you know, near Del Monte when that um, street is, is open up. Um, so I think we should evaluate the um, traffic, traffic uh, maybe additional stop signs, um, try to reduce the speed between entrance and um I think what's that street, Ohlone is the next stop sign where that is. I think we probably, some way in between, need to add another stop sign there to calm down the traffic. Um, and I'm also concerned about the width, but I'm not a traffic engineer, so I will um, rely, have to rely on the experts' uh, measurements and make sure that street complies. So with that said, do we have a motion to recommend this to the um, city Council. I, I could make a motion on uh, that that the Planning Commission recommend um, approval of the street classifications um, document. Uh, what I have one suggestion is just to add a paragraph describing the pedestrian or sidewalk mm -hmm. standards, referencing the active transportation plan. Um, similar to similar to to the general discussion regarding bikeways. I'll second the motion with the uh, uh, Vice President Hans amendment. Ellen, would you mind um, roll call vote, please? Sure, uh, Board Member Ariza. Aye. Cisneros. Aye. Uh, Vice President Hom? Aye. Board Member Sahaba? Aye. Board Member Teague? Aye. And President Ruiz? Aye. And that motion passes with six ayes. Thank you. Thank you. Moving on to agenda number eight, uh, meeting minutes. Do we have any comments and um, corrections? Board Member Teague? Uh, I don't have a correction. I just wanted to let the board know that uh, down at the bottom, we talked about we changed the ADU section. 
we missed something and I called into the city council as a resident and asked them to update it and they did, which was it, it mistakenly had that ADUs were only in the main building, not any building. Uh, so that got fixed. So figured you would appreciate knowing that. Otherwise I move to approve the minutes as written. Um, I have a correction. Uh, hang on a second. Um, page um, five out of eight, um, where it says Vice President Ruiz discussed the annual review for housing. I, um, there's a word missing. It should be housing element. Board Member T, would you mind amending the motion? Uh, I, I move approval as amended. Do we have a second? I'll second. Alan, please um, roll call vote, please. Yes, uh, Board Member Ariza? Aye. Uh, board Member Cisneros? Aye. Actually, I'm sorry, uh, Chair, I think for minutes we still have to open it up for public That's comment. That's right. Thank you for the mm -hmm. reminder. Do we have any public comments? Currently, no one's raising their hands. Okay, seeing none. Um, I remake the motion to uh, uh, approve it as amended. Um, I'll second. Thank you. So, motion second, Board Member Ariza? Aye. Cisneros? Aye. Vice President Hom? Aye. Board Member Seheba? Aye. Board Member Teague? Aye. And President Ruiz? Aye. And that motion passes with six ayes. Thank you. Moving on to agenda number seven, I mean, 9A, Planning, Building, and Transportation Department recent actions and decisions. Does anyone have any, any items out of there? Seeing none, moving on to agenda 9B, oral reports. Uh, so really, this is the uh, last planning board meeting of the year. Staff really wants to take the opportunity to thank the planning board. It's been really a phenomenal year. Um, I, I mean, everybody knows and, uh, and recalls the uh, effort the board has put in in the community on the housing element update. Um, the city council has adopted the housing element and staff has submitted that to HCD for, um, for certification. And so um, that could come any day now. Um, we're keeping our fingers crossed. And, you know, just throughout the year, you know, a lot of uh, other projects, um, as well as policy documents, um, you know, this board has reviewed the um, uh, Climate Action Resiliency Plan. There's also a follow-up with the uh, uh, ha uh, Hazard Mitigation Safety Element of the General Plan. You've also uh, done a lot of work on development projects um, just in the last year and really staff wants to have to take the opportunity to, to thank the board for for all your hard work um, and in terms of upcoming agenda items um we don't have uh, any items currently scheduled for the january 9th 2023 meeting um, but earlier in the calendar year we may have um, several items that might come to you depending on the timing of of uh of um staff's work with the applicants. Um, one could be including the West Midway um, plan um, that might come back to you for either a workshop 
um, or study session. We may have, um, we're working with the community development department on um, a public art master plan discussion. So that might also be coming before the board. Um, so uh, nothing in the first meeting, but um, second meeting and after in January, um, things we staff expects um, the work to pick up again. So that's really a quick summary of the year-end summary and, and outlook for early 2023. Thank you. Um, do we have any written communications? Uh, nothing outside of what was already passed on to the planning board. Awesome. Um, board communications? Board member Teague? I just wanted to reiterate the request to bring the objective standards back. Uh, potentially with options for how potentially we could include some of the universal design elements in it, or how we could include landscape elements in it, lighting plan elements in it. Um, those are things that uh, we really should be looking at, especially with the, the revised zoning. Um, the objective standards are going to be really important uh, to make sure that we are getting the housing that we want. So um, if any other board members have suggestions, they should probably send it to staff. Probably that first meeting may be just a workshop as to changes as opposed to actual changes. I don't know. I will leave that up to staff. Thank but, you. And I would also like to wish everyone a happy holiday season. And it's been an amazing three years of the pandemic and working our way through the housing element, the general plan, the zoning. Um, and uh, this board has been amazing to work with. And we may disagree, but we work our way through it and uh, get things done. So I am very happy to be part of this board. Thank you. Thank you. Board member Sahaba. Yeah, and no, I echo um, board member Teague's comments and uh, definitely thank the planning staff for all their hard work this past year. Um, I just wanted to raise, a con and I'm glad that um, board member Teague suggested bringing back the um, objective standards for discussion. Uh, I, In our last meeting, we approved 300 Mosley and it kind of stuck with me a couple days later, just thinking about that project and the challenges of, of course, increasing density that we all know we, we, we desperately need, but also it's kind of insensitivity to the um, buildings around it and the residents that are gonna stay there. And it's just, uh, you know, conflicting thoughts, uh, you know, more of an editorial that I'd like to just state for the board and the public that um, when they cut back the yards of the, of the buildings that were gonna stay, um, kind of reminded me of that movie Up by Pixar where you know, you'd know you wanna build the balloons up and float that house away because it's gonna be pretty, pretty tough um, behind that wall of seven stories uh, up against there, pretty tight. So I, I just, um, you know, I know these are these are challenges that everyone's trying to make the numbers work and and make um, the the increase the density. But I just 
hope that we don't get in a situation where we just feel that we're starting to create some severe challenged conditions for the people who are actually going to live there um, for the residents of the homes that are backed up by this building and also the residents of the homes that live in the building and um, look out to you know to, to that situation um, not sure how to get more clarity on this because you have to look at this three-dimensionally and really understand that there's uh, scale shifts that are occurring that need some a little bit more of a sensitive touch um, in order to to get to a more elegant solution but uh, I, I'm, I'm just <laughs> I'm just not uh, sort of that that project didn't settle well for me um, in the way that it 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 dealt with site plan issues and and resolved uh, the way that it um, inserted itself. Uh, you know, I, I guess thinking back now, I wish they had demolished more of the buildings to make a little bit more space or, or do some other movements of, of buildings that they were suggesting of shifting around because uh, it just it you know some some of those spaces were just way too severe. Anyways, that's that's my that's my end of the year editorial. So uh, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Board, um, Vice President Hong. Yeah, uh, thank you. Um, first of all, I echo what uh, this has been a wonderful board to work with. Uh, you know, I've worked with a lot of different boards and everyone is just so thoughtful with their comments and uh, we work, we sort out complex issues. I think if you made a list of everything we've accomplished this year, all the projects, this is a pretty impressive list, you know. I mean, the housing element is one thing, but all the different projects that we've come through, all the different plans that we provided comments on. Uh, so I think it's a, you know, thank, I'd like to thank all the board members, but also staff. Staff, you guys have done a tremendous amount of work. Uh, so that's appreciated. Um, regarding the design standards, I think it is agreed that it's time to take a look at them. I think when we first adopted the science standards, that, you know, they were an excellent set of documents. So I don't want want to disparage um, the, the efforts that was that we went through to adopt objective design standards. But we kind of knew, I think, in the discussion that we kind of said, let's put them in place. And after we've kind of gone through a series of projects, whether you know, a year later or so, or a little bit longer, let's kind of re take a, you know, take a look at them again and re kind of debrief on how effective they are and, and areas where we might need to shore up and further define some standards. Because I do agree, uh, the mostly project <laughs> have, have the same same thoughts as uh, board member Sahiba. It is a very stark project, it's almost like a wall between two neighborhoods uh, that used to be kind of connected, you know, with that joint open space. But uh, I realize the science standards may not be able to address that, but uh, there, there are probably some things that from our experience on, on uh, practicing these objective design standards that we might want to further refine. Uh, so I agree with that. Then my, my really main question is, I know that state laws requiring um, you know, city councils and maybe boards and commissions a little bit more uh, discretionary to go back to having in-person meetings. So uh, maybe an update from staff, but where does that stand in discussion with the city council? 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good question, Board Member Hom. So, um, at the last city council meeting, it was decided that um, well, um, there will be a new city manager seated um, come January third. Um, that's Jennifer Ott. Some of you might know her, um, working with her at Alameda Point, and um, and there will also be a new council member. So the decision was um, the question would be brought back to the city council come January. And um, for for the city to take direction from the new council and with the new city manager, um, so if I were to make a guess, uh, come February that there might be some direction on um, the the meeting format moving forward. Thank you, Board Member Riza. Yeah, um, I just wanted to say thank you, everyone, for. <laughs> um, sharing with me in this board. And uh, I'm really glad to hear that the design, the objective design standards will be coming back because I I don't have it in the back of my mind, maybe like some or most of you that worked through them. Um, and definitely it seems like, I, I've, I guess I, I totally echo what board member Sahiba is saying. I, I After we approved that project, the Admiral Scobin filled or the 300 monthly, I really felt like, okay, my question is how could we incentivize good design? I know there's a lot of incentives brought forward for um, density, but at the same time, um, I was thinking, is there a way that um, since we have to kind of comply with SB 330 because it's a state uh, mandate, how can we as the city um, incentivize good design in those kinds of projects. I mean, and I don't know if the way would be to maybe provide additional bonus density if, for example, they were to comply with some of the sustainability certifications that are out there, like um, I'm part of the International Living Future Institute, and I don't know if any of you are familiar with that, but that is kind of like LEED or there are available sustainability um, certifications and, and they have kind of different levels, but I know those promote good design. So I think I just wanted to maybe bring that to staff and to the board as an option, or maybe we can brainstorm ideas on how to, um, how to incentivize developers to better their designs. Because I do think that density is possible and I'm not against it, but I think that um, there are different ways of doing it. And particularly that project that is basically like a 300 foot seven story wall next to two stories of existing residential. Um, it just doesn't sit well with me. It just feels like the projects of the seventies, which is, you know, 50 years ago. Um, so that's sort of a question mark of, is there a way that we can create ways to make developers do better design. And yes, happy holidays to everyone. I hope everyone enjoys your time with family and hopefully vacation. Thank you. Thank you. Board member Cisneros. Yeah, um, just uh, plus one, two, all the comments already said and um, it'll be 
uh, interesting of, you know, how to balance um, us not being too prescriptive, but also wanting to achieve the housing goals that we all so strongly believe in and um, actually um, hopefully have this certified housing element, fingers crossed, implemented and, and enforce that. We have a plan and now let's like work towards having that plan implemented. So um, yeah, definitely uh, agree and the need to have standards that we're all comfortable with um, as these applications keep coming to us. And yeah, huge thanks to the staff for all your hard work. I'm always just so proud that City of Alameda was number one to get to the finish line and have that gold star. Um, and fingers crossed again that um, we'll hear from HCD soon and very humbled to be part of this board. So huge thanks to everyone, each of you and happy holidays. Thank you. Um, so I, I echo everyone to sentiment that uh, we have accomplished a lot and, and congratulations to the excellent staff who um, did the heavy lifting of um, getting the general plan and actually getting the housing element approved. Um, and um, this week, um, this past week, I toured the Life Moves um, short-term um, supportive housing in Mountain View that, that garnered a lot of publicity. And the data we got was ever since that project was um, opened, Mountain View has seen a reduction in their homelessness by 40%. And that is significant. Um, and, and so I am very... Um, anxious and waiting to see when our Dignity Village opens as well and see the transformation you will bring. And um, that ties back to housing element because in our housing element, we specifically address supportive housing. However, in Mountain View, they um, exclude that in the housing element. The supportive housing was not part of that arena solution. So I, um, I, <laughs> uh, yeah, the city manager was there and he, he just shakes his head and said, no, that was not part of it. Um, so kudos to everyone to have the foresight to include that in our housing element. Um, and also, I um, thank you, Borman Bertie, to bring back, uh, to raise that objective standard. Now that is being tested, it has been tested, it's time to reevaluate. So if the staff um, is open to, has the time, we'll like to, we can use that January meeting to review that. Also, I would like to see or maybe review what our um, entitlements checklist is, because I feel like a lot of information is missing and the staff ended up being having to do the research to make sure that the application is complete. Um, and also like today's the 3D view, I would like to see some of those views with um, adjacency, not just a standalone 3D view, but how does it play into the context of the neighborhood? And that was um, missing in today's package. So, um, if you know, if you're open to it, we would like to see maybe review with staff that what does the board want to see in the entitlements package? So we we are we are receiving a complete application. Yeah, if, if I may just uh, respond to that. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, um, as we as staff is working on the housing element and we've heard a lot of the feedback from the community concerned about 
um, interfaces and new development projects. We've always said that, you know, where the rubber meets the road is the um, design review standards. And so staff has always been preparing to um, come back with those. Um, we've had also a historical advisory board review over the past year about um, the standards. So we'll like to summarize that and bring that back. Um, and then also at the same time, um, the uh, submittal checklist requirements. I mean, as staff is, we're also learning along the way, applying these standards, you know, um, um, reading them and seeing how they apply to the plans. Um, and we're also realizing that, um, you know, our old, our old submittal checklists might not work. Um, and so, you know, for example, the, the percentage and the facade, you know, variation, I think that's something that we want the uh, uh, developers architect to provide us with, with those calculations. Even though we do the work ourselves, we, it would be easier if they, they provide an exhibit and then that, that would facilitate the board's uh, review for compliance. So um, yeah, we'll definitely try to bring that back early in the year um, and just do, do a workshop with, with the, with the uh, planning board. So we'll have the standards as well as, I mean, there are two sets of standards, um, the, the standards that we adopted for multifamily review, as well as those for um, the, the smaller single family and two, um, duplexes that were adopted afterwards. And then we can also provide the board with um, our sub current submittal checklist requirements. So, thank you. Thank and you. I also want to um, welcome board member Reza to, to, the, to the planning board. Thank you. With that said, um, same thing, wish everyone a safe and happy holiday season. Um, now moving on, we're not done yet. <laughs> moving on to oral communications. Do we have any um, um, public speakers that would like to address the board on topics not on the agenda? Uh, currently, no one is raising their hands. Okay, seeing none. Oh, sorry, Christopher Buckley just raises his hand. Mr. Buckley. Uh, Christopher Buckley, <clears throat> Alameda resident. Uh, I wanted to thank the board and particularly Alan Teague for bringing up the question of, of the objective design standards coming back. That's really important um, so, and, and really appreciate the support of the rest of the board members for doing that. You gave some very good reasons why it should be done. And um, would also like to call your attention and also your comments regarding the uh, 300 Mosley pro project and the seven story building there, that sort of development could happen now under the housing element in various places, including the transit overlay, which has a 40 foot height limit, but we found projects in other communities where you have Berkeley, Oakland, among others, where there's a 40 foot height limit, but using the state density bonus law, particularly if you have a 100% affordable project, they've added three stories to that. So you think you're getting a four story building with a 45 foot height limit, you're ending up with a seven-story building. So those kinds of buildings could develop in the transit overlay and anywhere else where um, state density bonus law projects now become feasible due to the increased densities, including unlimited density. So that scenario, that type of scenario should be addressed as part of the next uh, review of the objective design standards. So thank you. Thank you, Mr. Buckley. Um, Seeing that we don't have any more speakers, um, the meeting is adjourned. Thank you, everyone. Thank to our interpreters for the night. You've done Thank a you. fantastic job. Thank you, Thank Mary you. and Laurie. Thank you very much. Happy Good holidays, night. everyone. Bye -bye. Happy holidays. Bye. Thank you Bye. all.